For those of you who are newer, my name is C.B. Etter. I'm the senior pastor of Christ Community Church, and we want to welcome all of you here this morning on a special Sunday. We're so thankful, as uh, Ben mentioned a moment ago, that God brought Mario and Jen and their family home safe to us. Had a great time hanging out with them yesterday. And um, as Ben mentioned, next next Sunday is an important Sunday. We'll be taking our Christ Community Church Mission Fund offering in addition to our tithes and offerings. Um, and that special offering is going to be in order to see the gospel go forth to Croatia. And uh, Mario was talking with us yesterday about the needs, and he was saying that they're going to need something around $20,000 to get them over there from where they're at right now. And uh, we've been able to provide a lot already, but they're going to need um, a lot more. And so if you could just be praying this week about, God, what would you have me give, and how can we stretch to give to meet those needs? That would be great. And please be praying for them. This summer, they're going to be visiting about six other Sovereign Grace churches throughout our region. And uh, they're going to be seeking to gather further fundraising support. And we're so thankful for those other sister churches that are partnering together with us to seek to help us get a church plant over to Croatia. We're delighted about that. And so Mario and Jen will be here. Mario will be preaching next Sunday. And then for those remaining Sundays throughout uh, the rest of June and July, he'll be traveling. So we probably won't see him much on Sundays until August 7th. That'll be our send-out Sunday. So that's going to be a really important Sunday on August 7th. Mark Prater's going to be here with us to kind of be here for the send-out. And um, we're going to have a special church picnic here around the grounds of the Governor Mifflin Middle School immediately after that. So we'll all be able to get a chance to say sort of our last goodbyes, if you will. And I don't want to talk about that yet because that's going to be uh, happy, happy, but also a, a bittersweet kind of day just to see our friends uh, heading off. And so um, you, they have a lot to accomplish over this summer. Could you please be praying for them? Pray for God to meet those financial needs. And also, um, they, they may not be able to get together with each one of us individually as families, though that would be their desire. That's one of the reasons why we're actually having the uh, church picnic at the end, so that we can all kind of hang out with them together before they catch their flight that Tuesday morning after August 7th. And so, we're so thankful for Mario and Mickey Connolly, who is here as our guest speaker here this morning, has been a real blessing to us as a local church on behalf of Sovereign Grace to help prepare us in order to get Mario and Jen prepared and Daniel and Caitlin Crocker prepared. We had a meeting yesterday that went so well where we were able to cover a lot of ground just to set these guys up for success as they're getting ready to head out. Uh, to Croatia, Daniel and Caitlin praying about next early summer to go and follow up to help get the church plant started in strength. Um, be praying for all of them. But I'm so thankful for Mickey coming up from our sister church in Charlotte, North Carolina. As many of you know, Mickey has been a longtime friend of our church. He's come from really our church's very beginnings and has come almost every year just to come and preach Christ to us. And we are so thankful for Mickey. He was my pastor's college instructor all the way back in 1998, 97-98. That was the first pastor's college class. And then he also was a pastor's college instructor for Ben when Ben was a pastor's college. And then with Mario as well. And uh, 
and, and it was just a blessing being with him yesterday, just watching just the wise counsel he was giving to help strengthen us so that we can, we can really do this work wisely and, uh, and send out in strength. And so Mickey has been such a dear friend, and I'm so thankful for him being here this morning. Him and Jane are just dear to our family. It was great playing Mario Kart with him last night with my kids, and uh, I whooped him. I had he, I think he had Bowser, and I had uh, you know Waluigi, and I took him out. So that was awesome, and uh, I love uh, I love racing him and beating him in all things. But Mario Kart, Mario Kart will do. And uh, most importantly, Mickey, we, we just thank you for your love for us, your love for the city of Reading, since you had family down in the city of Reading when you were a little boy coming and visiting the inner city of Reading every year, spending summers there with your family. We went to uh, Barringer's last night to get ice cream because Mickey loves that place. He remembers it from when he was a boy, and he was happy to see that the uh, after the fire last year that the uh, the place was renovated almost exactly to what it was like before. And uh, he was loving just eating ice cream with me and my kids. We had a great time. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the blessing he is to us. And uh, we love you. And he's come to preach God's word to us today on the mission of the gospel. And it's going to really fire us up for what we're about to do. So, Mickey, thanks for coming. And, church, can we thank Mickey Connolly for traveling up from Charlotte to come and be with us? Oh, my heart was all ready to preach, and then he mentioned Mario Kart. <laughs> now I'm downhearted again, you know. That was that was poor leadership on your part. <laughs> oh, it is wonderful to be here, and I just want to take a moment to look on your faces and just uh, uh, see um, people that I've known over the years and just what a joy it's been to be here with you. I uh, love your pastors, love the job that they're doing uh, here. Uh, it was a, a real joy to uh, be with Mario for a couple weeks uh, at the pastor's college and just see his gifting and see him relate with those other men and those other men be influenced by him and his passion to take the gospel to Croatia and then uh, to see him back here and Jen and the family in the church that they love so much and the, just the joy that uh, they were expressing and the joy that was on their faces and just being back with you all uh, for six weeks or so before they uh, head out. And uh, so, Mario, thank you for um, being obedient to God's calling and leaning into God's calling on your life. And what a, what a, what a providence that uh, you would be born in Croatia, that uh, God would bring Jen to Croatia for you to meet, come back to the States, be a part of this church. And then going back here, how God's hand has been on your life and how you can trace the hand of God uh, on your life and uh, what confidence that can give you as you go. So my friend, I am praying for you. I'm grateful for you. And I just can't wait to hear the wonderful reports that are going to come out of uh, Croatia as you head there. So you too, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, um, 280 years ago, on April the 2nd, 1739, uh, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism and the Methodist Church, John Wesley abandoned simply speaking in churches and began to speak evangelistic sermons in an open-air context. And that decision 
ushered in one of the greatest revivals in the history of the Christian church. Uh, it was a significant day in church history because it changed the way the gospel was taken to people, that people no longer had to come to a church, and many people would not come to a church. People no longer had to come to a church to hear the gospel, uh, but now people were taking the gospel to uh, them. And I mention this because his text in that very first outdoor sermon 280 years ago was the text that we're going to look at today. But the significance of that day in John Wesley's life and church history actually pales in comparison to the significance of the day that we are about to study today at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, it it pales in significance because what we are going to look at today reveals both the power and the purpose of Jesus' ministry, the power and the purpose that were John Wesley's, and the power and the purpose that are even each and every one of ours Today, 2,000 years later, or 280 years later. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 4, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read beginning in verse 14. And Jesus returned, and speaking of returning from the wilderness from his temptation... And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant And sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you that in your kindness, you inspired Luke to include this story in 
his gospel, a story that we don't read elsewhere, so that we might understand this beginnings of the preaching of the good news of the gospel, the content of that gospel, the hope that that gospel gives us. And uh, I pray for, for several things for us today, Father. I pray, first of all, that we would simply glory in these gospel truths. Because these were gospel truths that were actually centuries later heard by us. They were gospel truths that saved us and that we might simply rejoice in and remember and glory in these gospel truths. May we recognize the utter complete relevance of these gospel truths to people who are all around us today, people who are far from God and yet close to us and need to hear these gospel truths. These gospel truths are so needed and so relevant in their lives. Father, we pray that they would motivate us and that they would encourage us through recognizing the power and the purpose that we too have. To proclaim this gospel. So, Father, please do a work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, please do a work that only you can do. Today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just, just three simple points. I want to just kind of explain, uh, the context here, the prologue, and then, uh, I want to talk about the, the power and the purpose of the gospel that were announced here. So in verses 14 and 15, we're, we're kind of introduced to uh, the, and, and what led up to some of the background of this particular passage. We read that Jesus returned to Galilee. Uh, the return, as I said, is a return from his time in the wilderness. If you remember the story where before he began his public ministry, he went into the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan for 40 days on our behalf. He obeyed God and so that we could inherit his perfect righteousness. And so that is where he is returning from. He is returning from that wilderness to this area of Galilee in the northern part of the nation of Israel. And when he returned, it tells us that he began to teach in the synagogues. And as he taught in the synagogues, that things were going quite well. He was being glorified by all. And so this this is a general statement of Jesus' ministry that we're going to look at and is going to be filled out in verses 16 through 20 later on in this message. Uh, we don't know how long this itinerant preaching career had been going on before Jesus shows up in Nazareth, shows up in his hometown. But when he shows up, we need to recognize that he already had this growing reputation, that he was being glorified by all. The word glorified here uh, could be translated praised, or he was being well received uh, by all. So the picture, if this was today, uh, the picture would be Jesus is all over Twitter. Jesus is all over Facebook. Uh, everyone is tweeting quotes from Jesus. Everyone is posting pictures of Jesus' ministry. And everyone is speaking uh, well of him. But even in these days, without Twitter or Facebook or CNN or anything else, the word of mouth was spreading. There was a buzz about Jesus.
Jesus. People were excited about Jesus. People wanted to hear Jesus, particularly in his own hometown uh, where he had grown up. And, and they're thinking, wow, this is a local boy makes good uh, story. And they were anxious to get in on the story. So Jesus uh, has been preaching. Uh, people have been praising him. The people of Nazareth have been hearing the buzz about him. And now he shows up back in his hometown uh, on Saturday. He comes to the synagogue. And that brings us to verses 16 through 20 that we want to look at today. And we find there that it was his custom. Actually, whatever town Jesus went to, wherever Jesus was, it was his custom to attend the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And apparently when he showed up because of the buzz, the leaders of that synagogue asked him to, in our, in our modern language, preach the sermon that day. That Jesus would be their, their guest speaker. And the passage he picks is a, is a dramatic one. It's a passage from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through 2. It is a prophecy about what was known as the day of the Lord or the coming day of the Lord, which was much anticipated by the people that Jesus would have been speaking to on this day. And there are two things that are notable about this particular sermon, this particular passage that I want to call our, our, our attention to because they are so relevant to us. And, and that is that Jesus points us to the power for gospel ministry, and he declares to us the purpose of uh, gospel ministry as well as the content of that gospel ministry. So let's begin by looking at the power for gospel ministry that Jesus tells us about here today. He begins, uh, picks this passage, and the passage begins, Jesus chooses the place where the passage begins, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord, uh, the, the very Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So we see right from the very beginning that Jesus' public ministry is uniquely marked by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit of the Lord was with him, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Now, this is critical for us because the reality of it is that Jesus' life and Jesus' experience of the Spirit is the pattern for every believer from that point forward to be filled with or be anointed with or be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not begin his public ministry 30 years of just working as a carpenter or being a boy or whatever he did, but he did not begin his public ministry until the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Until the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him. And as a result, his ministry from that point forward was characterized by power. Power in his preaching, power in his working of miracles. And I want us to, uh, I'm just going to walk you through a little bit of Luke just to understand how this came about, the progression of this and the importance of this in Jesus' ministry. So, if you'll just look over one chapter back in uh, in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, uh, Jesus has gone to be baptized by John the Baptist. And we read in verses 21 and 22, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, 
in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So right at the beginning where Jesus first presents himself publicly, we find that the Spirit of the Lord descends upon him. And then immediately after his baptism, Jesus is taken into the wilderness uh, to be tempted. And we find there in 4.1 at the beginning, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So the Spirit has descended upon him at his baptism, and now he is described as being full of the Holy Spirit as he enters into this temptation in the wilderness. And then in four, chapter 14, which we read at the very beginning, when he returns from the wilderness, this is how he is described. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He returned in the power. The Spirit descended upon him. He was filled with the Spirit. And now he returns in the power of the Spirit. In other words, the, the Holy Spirit's power and presence was what was to characterize his public ministry from this point forward. In fact, uh, the apostles, uh, the apostle Peter in, uh, in Acts chapter 10, in one of the sermons of Acts, describes Jesus' experience and the importance of the Spirit's anointing in his ministry this way in Acts chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. And you yourself know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God is with him. So Jesus' entire ministry, even though Jesus is God himself, Jesus' entire ministry is characterized by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, his ministry here in Acts is credited to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit being with him. And brothers and sisters, that is so significant to us because we recognize that just as Jesus didn't leave home without the Holy Spirit, didn't begin his public ministry without the Holy Spirit, when it was time for his disciples, those first disciples, to uh, continue his ministry, to continue the ministry that he began, Jesus told them, do not begin your ministry without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, your ministry will not be effectual. So at the end of Gospel of Luke, verse chapter 24, verse 49, he promises them before his ascension, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And we find that that clothing with power from on high uh, happens. Uh, Jesus reminds them in the book of Acts, chapter 1, uh, again, of what the effect will be as he tells them about what their mission is to be or reminds them of that mission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to Croatia. I just added that part, but I did that for you, Mario. (laughs) And to the end of the earth. So brothers and sisters, do you, do you, do you see the point? Do you see what's happening here? Jesus himself did not begin, would not begin his public ministry apart from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And he tells his first disciples not to begin their ministry, apart from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And the point for us is simply this, that brothers and sisters, we cannot be effective in gospel ministry, apart from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And by the way, we don't get Holy Spirit light. It's not like, oh yeah, Jesus got the Holy Spirit, but we kind of get, you know, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit light. No, there's no Holy Spirit light. The same Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, the Spirit of God, indwells us, empowers us, anoints us, in order that might we might be effective in gospel ministry. The very same Holy Spirit, the very same power that worked in Jesus' ministry, the very same power that worked in Peter and Paul's and the first disciples' ministry is also a necessary power to work in our gospel ministry, and it is a available power. We have that power right now. Not only does that power work in us, by the way, but it works in those who hear the gospel. That the Holy Spirit is working in us, and he's working in the hearers, and apart from the Holy Spirit working in the hearers, our Our effectiveness would be nil. We wouldn't be effective. But the Holy Spirit um, loves gospel ministry. The Holy Spirit empowers gospel ministry as we go out to preach and as he's working in our hearers. What encouragement. The power of the gospel is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The same power that was available to Jesus, the same powerful that was available to the first disciples is available to us today simply for the asking, simply for the depending as we go out to preach the gospel. That's the power. Now let's look at the proclamation and the purpose because the proclamation kind of sums up for us that purpose. In verse 18, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is upon me because There is a reason that the Holy Spirit was upon him. What was that reason? Because the Lord has anointed him to do certain things. The Holy Spirit was upon him because in God's purpose, there were certain things that needed to be done. There was a certain message that needed to be proclaimed. So the Holy Spirit had anointed Jesus for a purpose, and he's going to now tell us what that purpose was. And the purpose is so tied up in the proclamation, it's impossible to separate those two things. Now, let's step away from the story for a minute just to understand something. At this point in Luke's gospel, and by the way, as you're reading any of the gospels, you need to remember this. Every one of us right now knows much more about the gospel and about Jesus than the people at Nazareth that day. We, we have the advantage of hindsight. 
We have the advantage of the New Testament. They, they didn't have that advantage. So you have to understand that when the people heard this, they were hearing it in a religious or a cultural or an Old Testament context that was all they had and that we have far more than that. So when, when, um, when Jesus says in verse 19 at the end, when he mentions the year of the Lord's favor, that, that would have set off for them. They would have heard that in their Old Testament context because announcing the year of the Lord's favor was a messianic announcement. There, there had been an expectation that this Messiah, this anointed one, this, this savior was going to come and usher in the year of the Lord's favor. More often actually referred to in the Old Testament as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord which would usher in the coming of this Messiah King, this deliverer, and then when the Messiah King came, that, that day, that time would include a deliverance from their enemies and judgment upon their enemies, uh, and then ushering in this era of peace and prosperity that they would have known about the king, uh, as the kingdom of God. And so, as we hear now the, the rest of what Jesus is going to proclaim here, I want us to hear with their ears and understand what they would have understood, but I want us to hear with our ears as well and hear with the advantage that we now have in having Luke's gospel and having the rest of the New Testament in front of us. So four things in particular that, that Jesus says. First, He says that the Spirit has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. To proclaim good news to the poor. Now, the good news here in the original language of the gospel is part of the evangel word group. It's it's the word group that we get evangelism from. The proclamation of the good news. Uh, It's the good news. It's the word that we get evangelical from. Those who believe it is necessary to proclaim uh, the good news. So when Jesus says good news, it, uh, it's, it's this evangelical word group that we're familiar with. Now the good news for them, those that were hearing that day in Nazareth, the good news for them was just what I described above. It was the good news of the coming of the Messiah to establish uh, the kingdom of God. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is said to preach the good news of the kingdom. Now, while that is certainly good news, while it was certainly good news to them, this would not be the gospel as we know it today. It was only after Jesus' death and resurrection that the gospel as we know it today could be proclaimed, that the fullness of what it meant for Messiah to come and bring judgment and salvation and usher in peace and and prosperity and establish the kingdom, that the fullness of what that really means would be understood. It wasn't understood by those people today. It is understood by us tonight. And I want you to note that the good news, the proclamation of this good news is particularly for the poor. To proclaim good news to the poor. Now, this word poor here doesn't simply refer to material want. Poverty as we would commonly understand today. Although that isn't excluded, that's certainly part of the word. 
To be poor in this particular culture included any disadvantaged condition, any any condition that was looked upon as being of low status in this particular culture. One of the emphasis of Luke's gospel is that Jesus takes the gospel to the disadvantaged uh, of, of the culture. So those who were uneducated uh, in that day to women, to people who were a part of certain vocations, they were the poor, they were the disadvantaged of that day. And that's how they would have understood that term. But in hindsight, we recognize that more important than any material poverty is the spiritual poverty, the spiritual disadvantages that each and one of us is, is born into, the spiritual poverty that is highlighted by Jesus in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the gospel is for those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. Not just some material bankruptcy or poverty. The gospel is for those who recognize their spiritual need. That are humble enough to simply recognize I am a sinner and I need a savior. And Jesus Christ is uh, that Savior. The materially rich or advantaged commonly are less likely to recognize that spiritual poverty that they have. Their, their, their material wealth can tend to mask it, at least for a while. Not, not certainly forever. And so we see Jesus here breaking down the barriers between the haves and the have-nots of society as defined by the haves because throughout eternity, the haves have always been the ones who have defined who the haves are and who the have-nots are. Now, before we move on to the next portion of this, there's one word that I want us to especially notice here, especially because... I think most of us, I don't know all of you, I don't know all of your backgrounds, but I think most are probably the products of in America of a middle class or perhaps an upper middle class upbringing, a a comfortable American upbringing, uh, perhaps a church upbringing that many of us have experienced. And that word is the word poor. The word poor don't want to move on before we just spend a moment marveling at the fact that Jesus, if you're a believer here today, allowed you in the midst of relative material prosperity to recognize your spiritual poverty so that the good news when proclaimed to you would actually be believed. I want to read you a story that I think just captures this so well. A large prestigious Baptist church had three mission churches under its care. On the first Sunday of each new year, all the members of the mission churches would come to the parent church for a combined communion service. In those mission churches located in the slums of a major city, 
were some outstanding cases of conversions. Thieves, burglars, and others. But all knelt as brothers and sisters side by side at the communion rail. What a wonderful picture. On one such occasion, the pastor saw a former burglar kneeling beside the judge of the Supreme Court of England, the very judge who had sent him to jail where he had served seven years. After his release, this burglar had been converted and become a Christian worker. After the service, the judge was walking out with the pastor and said to him, did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail this morning? The two walked along in silence for a few moments, and then the judge said, what a miracle of grace. And the pastor nodded in agreement, a marvelous miracle of grace indeed. The judge then inquired, but to whom do you refer? The former convict, the pastor answered, and the judge said, I was not referring to him. I was thinking of myself. The minister, surprised, replied, you were thinking of yourself. I don't understand. You see, the judge went on. It is not surprising that the burglar received God's grace when he left jail. He had nothing but a history of crime behind him. And we, when he understood that Jesus could be his savior, he knew that there was salvation and hope for him and joy. And he knew how much he needed that help. But look at me. I was taught from earliest infancy to live as a gentleman, that my word was to be my bond, that I was to say my prayers, go to church, take communion, and so on. I went through Oxford, obtained my degrees, was called to the bar, and eventually became a judge. I was sure all that I need, I was all that I needed to be, though in fact I too was a sinner. Pastor, it was God's grace that drew me. It was God's grace that opened my heart to receive Christ. I am the greater miracle. Oh, brothers and sisters, we here today in America are just great miracles. And I I don't want us to miss before we move on the, the marvel of that miracle. That though relatively prosperous, having far more in common probably with that judge than we did with that burglar. Nonetheless, God in his grace and his mercy and his kindness looked down upon us and said, I'm going to open up the heart of that poor one and that poor one and that poor one to believe the gospel. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us recognize what a great miracle it is that we are sitting here this morning as believers in Jesus Christ and recipients of him and recipients of all the benefits that come through him. What a, what a miracle and what a joy and what a glory. He continues, not only to preach good news to the poor, but proclaim liberty to the captives. So he's starting to unpack now the good news for us. What is the essence of this good news? It is to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now again, with their ears, this word captive here would have, would have reminded them of prisoners captured in a time of war. That those who were, were captured in a time of war. And the Jewish hearer would have immediately gone to their Roman oppressors. 
Yes, we are a captive nation. We are a nation that was defeated in war and now are under the thumb of an oppressive regime in the Romans. And yes, now the Messiah has come to set us free from our Roman oppressors. But brothers and sisters, again, we we can understand so much more. Because in John's gospel, John 8, 34, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin, which is everyone, is a slave to sin. You see, there is, there is kind of an unreported war that went on in your life before you were saved. It continues to go on in your life even now. A war between the world and the world system that is opposed to God, uh, between your own flesh and remaining sin, uh, between the devil and our souls. It was, it was a war that we were born into as slaves, a world that we were born into uh, as slaves, captive to our own sin nature. And that's why this, this truth of proclamation of liberty to captives is again so glorious, uh, to us. The freedom is a glorious one as compared to our former enslaved condition. Jesus says this in John 8:31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word and are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a freedom in the truth of the gospel. There's a freedom in the truth of of God's word. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Later he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We were born into the world slaves to sin, but the gospel sets us free. The son of God, Jesus has set us free. And exactly how he did that is explained in the epistles in Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life, the gospel, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the rulers of the king of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Captives enslaved to sin, set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, set free through the gospel. The truth of the gospel proclaims freedom to those of us who have been held captive by sin. And it still proclaims that freedom. Uh, The next thing that Jesus unpacks for us of the effect of this proclamation is recovery of sight to the blind. Now, again, Jesus' hearers would have understood this as part of the peace and prosperity that would come when the Messiah uh, came. There would be physical well-being and physical healing. Uh, Jesus' miracles were a sign of this to people that had eyes to actually see and hearts to perceive. Jesus' miracles were a sign, particularly uh, the miracles in the Gospels of healing people who were blind particularly miracles in the gospel of healing peoples who were blind from birth. Um, note in John, 30, remember John 9, 32, the healing of the blind man from birth, and then he's rejected by the Pharisees. Well, 
Um, this is one of the things the blind men said, and it is true, and we need to note this. John 9.32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This was a significant miracle and a significant sign because never before in the history of the world, not only had it not been heard of, it had not been done. But when the Messiah comes, then even the eyes of those born blind could be opened. It was a sign to them that the kingdom would come upon us. And again, we know so much more. Jesus continues to heal the physically disabled. But our spiritual need is, again, much greater than any physical disability. We are born spiritually blind as well as enslaved, unwilling and unable to even see our sin or see our separation from God. The New Testament tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers that we were born into a dominion of darkness, that we were formerly darkened in our understanding. But Jesus says that this was a blindness that the gospel could heal, a spiritual blindness that the gospel could heal. In John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness and will have the light of life. And then this wonderful passage from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Spiritually blind. And now we see, and, and don't miss this part. Don't miss the comparison. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. I, I am constantly amazed by the power of creation. I hope you are too. Nothing existed. And just by speaking, let there be light. Light. Friends, that's power. (laughs) That's power. And do you know what Paul did? He likened the very power for God to create out of nothing to the power to shine light in our hearts to be able to see and believe the gospel. The very same power of God to create the universe is the very same power that is applied to a sinner's heart that was one day applied to you and my hearts to be able to be healed of our spiritual blindness and to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a, what a miracle. Fourthly, he proclaimed liberty to those who are oppressed. Uh, again, as I said, the year of the Lord's favor would have been a time of peace and prosperity. Now, this word here uh, is different than the word captives that was used before. Uh, the word oppressed here means broken in pieces or shattered. That he proclaims liberty to those who are broken in pieces, to those who are shattered. Uh, it seems to be captured in Isaiah's word in another place in his prophecy, that Christ came to bind up the brokenhearted, to bind up those who were broken in pieces, bind up those whose lives were shattered. Another version of scripture translates this word oppressed as downtrodden. 
that Jesus came to the downtrodden to proclaim good news to them. Downtrodden of their day, downtrodden of our day. Not only saved, but unsaved. Those who are depressed. Maybe this is you this morning. Depressed or discouraged or grieving or fearful or sad or weary. Just as all of us are from time to time beaten down by life in a fallen world, broken people by life in a fallen world, the oppression of the devil uh, upon our lives, that the gospel has came to take broken people, downtrodden people, shattered people, and to make them whole again in Jesus Christ. Isaiah actually continues the passage that the Lord reads with these wonderfully encouraging words that these things are announced in order to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is good news for us. I think we're well enough taught to know this. The gospel doesn't promise that we'll never struggle in this world. The gospel doesn't promise that we'll never suffer in this life. But Jesus does promise this to the downtrodden and the broken. He, he promises that we can have beauty. He promises that we can have gladness. He promises that we can have praise in the midst of that circumstance. The rather bit people that faint in the midst of those kinds of circumstances, we can stand firm like a mighty oak tree because of Jesus. J.C. Ryle captured all that we have talked about so well. He said, we must know Jesus as the friend of the poor in spirit, as the physician of the diseased heart, as the deliverer of the souls in bondage. Oh, do you know Jesus this morning? as the friend of the poor in spirit, as the physician of the deeds of the diseased heart, as the deliverer of the souls in, in bondage. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, oh, I pray that you would just know him as those things more and more in your own lives. Well, after Jesus finishes verse 20, we have this really dramatic moment in the story that I think just reading we might we might miss. There's a pregnant pause that happens here. So you, you get the idea the way Luke writes this of real deliberateness that 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 Luke is slowing down the action here. It would be as if I'm up here preaching to you and then I just stopped for about a minute and stared at you. starting to get uncomfortable, aren't you? <laughs> Notice this. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back and sat down and the eyes of everyone was fixed upon him. What is he going to say when he gives the sermon. All he'd done so far, by the way, is, is read the, the passage. 
<laughs> um, you could have heard a pin drop. And when he does speak, he gives this absolutely startling commentary. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, in the presence of the man who stood before them. This scripture has been fulfilled in their hearing, in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus said today, it would have been like a thunderbolt going through that congregation in Nazareth to those who were discerning. It is a thunderbolt to us today, a thunderbolt of joy for those who are believers that these gospel glories are ours. The freedom, the healing, the putting together of those who were shattered. The glorious proclamation and purpose of the gospel going forth. Now, let me just briefly apply and then we're going to close. To our non-Christian friends who are here with us today, and uh, in a crowd this size, I usually assume that there are some friends who are not Christians there's a couple of words here that I particularly want to call your attention to. The first word is today. Today, all of the blessings of the gospel that I have just described could be yours. And more importantly, the man Jesus Christ could be yours today. Not next week, not next month, not when you've gotten your life together, not when you've put together your broken, shattered life. But today, in another place in the Bible, a writer writes, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Oh, friends, our non-Christian friends, may I urge you, beg of you, not to wait another day to receive Jesus Christ, to put your faith and your trust in him, to turn away from your sins, simply to come to him, to come to him as those who are poor in spirit. To come to him as one who recognizes I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I'm a broken person who needs put back together. This gospel is for you. And it's for you today. May I urge you to not leave this place without coming to him. And let me encourage you that when you come, he will receive you with open arms. He will receive you with joy no matter what sins or brokenness you bring to him. Because he has been anointed for that very purpose, to see sinners like you and to receive sinners like me, which he did many, many years ago. For us believers, let me just finish with this. This is, this is good news. We have the same power, the same message, the same proclamation, and the same purpose 
that Jesus Christ did that day long ago back in Nazareth. What good news this is to us. But, oh, brothers and sisters, what good news we have to share. Liberty to those who are enslaved by sin. Sight to those who are spiritually blind. Hope for those who are beaten down by life. All around us in Reading and Sinking Spring and Berks County and Pennsylvania and the United States and Croatia, all around us, there's plenty of people who are poor in spirit. There are plenty of people who are captives and enslaved and downtrodden. I would ask you to consider who are those that are close to you but far from God? God's put them close to you for a reason. He's made them your family. He's made them your neighbors. He's made them your co-workers. He's made them fellow students. He's put them close to you for a reason. Because they are far from God. And because you have this very same message to proclaim to them. And you have this very same power to proclaim it. And that very same Holy Spirit is, can work in their heart just like he worked in, in, in your heart. So let us, brothers and sisters, proclaim the good news to the poor all around us in the power of God's Holy Spirit. Amen. See me. hard to close a message when you've just been weeping your eyes out over all these categories of freedom and healing and I think when Mickey shared a few moments ago from the text that Jesus put together the putting together of those that have been shattered I mean I just broke over how shattered my life was without Jesus Christ as my Lord, how lost, how spiritually blind, how enslaved. And I'm so thankful for Mickey just encouraging us to pause and marvel because brothers and sisters God did not leave us there he sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins and raised him up from the dead He's caused us in this room who have repented of our sins and believed in him. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And I would encourage every single one of us in this room who are Christians to adopt the perspective of that wonderful story he shared in the midst of the sermon. I'm the great miracle. Oh, what a difference that perspective could make on each and every one of our lives.
if we would truly embrace that perspective, whether you view yourself as the thief kneeling at the communion rail, the former thief now bought by blood, or the the judge kneeling beside the communion rail. Everyone whom the Lord has saved, it's been a great miracle. And may we all celebrate that this morning, brothers and sisters. Amen. Can we just thank God in prayer as we close? Let's just turn our attention to him and just thank him for saving us. Lord, we are so grateful that you have had mercy on such wretched sinners like us. We were so lost, so broken, so enslaved, so blind, so ensnared, so captured. And you have set us free. You have forgiven us of all of our sins. You have reconciled us to God. Jesus, you have paid it all. You have done it all. You have said it is finished. Oh, thank you so much for absorbing the wrath that we deserve. Thank you so much for setting the captives free in this room and delivering the oppressed, those who have been broken and shattered into pieces and putting us together. Oh, Lord, we can't thank you enough for this great salvation that you have wrought to us. And as Mickey shared, Lord, we have a great message of good news to take to this area, to take to other areas, to take to Croatia, to take to everyone in our life that you have put around us. You desire for us to proclaim the good news to them. We pray, as he mentioned in his first point, we pray, Holy Spirit, even right now in the name of Jesus, that you would empower us as a congregation. You would empower each individual Christian in this room as we turn our attention to you. We know we can't do this in our own strength. Holy Spirit, please come. Holy Spirit, come and fill your servants. Empower us. Thank you for dwelling within us right now, but empower us to great gospel ministry, great gospel work, not because we are great, but because you are great and not because we are powerful. No, Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. So show your power through weak servants who are on our knees desperate before you. And Lord, may it be to your glory when all these wonderful stories of salvation Continue to increase because you've used us to be your witnesses. Lord, we will give you all the glory and say it's all because of you and your empowering presence, Holy Spirit. And this glorious gospel that has rescued us. And now we have the honor to proclaim. We love you and we ask for your blessing on Mickey and his ministry. And we're so thankful to be in the wonderful partnership with our family of churches and sovereign grace, to be edified and blessed in such a way. We are so thankful. We are so thankful. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, everybody. If you get a chance to say hi to Mickey, you'd love to meet him if you haven't gotten a chance to. He's a real blessing. and We'll be heading out shortly. He's got a long ride home. And so thank you so much for coming today. God bless you. And remember, you're the great miracle if you're saved. Enjoy. God bless you.